Let's go ahead and uh, begin with a word of prayer. And today is uh, the commemoration of of Philip. Excuse me. Today is the commemoration of Philip. Nikolai, Johann Hermann, and Paul Gerhardt, who were hymn writers. So just a little background on them. Uh, Philip, Philip, excuse me, Philip Nikolai, uh, 1556 to 1608, was a pastor in Germany during the Great Plague, which took the lives of 1,300 of his parishioners during a six-month period. Man, he thought COVID was bad. Um, in addition to his heroic pastoral ministry during that time of stress and sorrow, he wrote the texts for Wake Awake for Night is Flying and, and, and um, O Morning Star, How Fair and Bright, known respectively as the king and queen of the Lutheran chorales. Johann Hermann. Uh, 1585 to 1647, also a German pastor, suffered from poor health as well as from the ravages of the Thirty Years' War from 1618 to 1648. His hymn texts are noted for their tenderness and depth of feeling. Paul Gerhard, 1607 to 76, was another Lutheran pastor who endured the horrors of the Thirty Years' War. By 1668, he had lost his pastoral position in Berlin for refusing to compromise his Lutheran convictions and endured the death of four of his five children and his wife. He, he, he nevertheless managed to write 133 hymns, all of which reflect his firm faith. Along with Martin Luther, he is regarded as one of Lutheranism's finest um, as one of Lutheranism's finest hymn writers. So our prayer is going to reflect these these three men today. So uh, let us pray. Um, Almighty God, the Apostle Paul taught us to praise you in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We thank you this day for those who have, who have given to your church great hymns, especially your servants, Philip Nikolai, Johann Hermann, and Paul, Paul Gerhardt. May your church never lack, never lack um, hymn writers who through their words and music give you praise. Um, fill us with the desire to praise and thank you for your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ, um, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 All righty. So, um, 
Our study in Habakkuk, uh, we'll, today we'll just simply do uh, an overview, kind of show some context. Uh, who's, who's already read Habakkuk before? Okay. Handful. That's good. Um, so what, before we dive into it, what do y'all know about Habakkuk? Besides, he's got a very interesting name. Prophet. He's a prophet? Yeah. What time, what time was he uh, a prophet? Like, what, what time in the history of, uh, Jeremiah. of Israel? What's that? Around Jeremiah. Yeah, kind of a contemporary of Jeremiah. Um, also the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction right. of the temple. He what now? The fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Yeah, he's, um, I'm not sure if he's still alive. We don't really know a whole lot about who he was or like uh, personal things. I think I, I cut out some, some historical stuff. Like there's some things that are apocryphal, like um, in, in the apocryphal book, uh, Bell and the Dragon, if y'all know about that. Um, yeah. uh, it's said that Habakkuk brings Daniel something to Babylon and some, and it's just like, but that's way after uh, uh, Habakkuk would have written all this and everything. I think, I think maybe Habakkuk was around during the fall. Because he probably knew Daniel at some point too, so it's like it's all kind. Of, he's he's kind of a contemporary here, um, but yeah, there's there's not a whole lot known other than what we can piece together from context. But let's just go through uh, what what we have here. So you see that timeline at the top of your paper there, um, where uh, Habakkuk writes this, uh, maybe around six oh five BC. And then by um, 599 BC, you know, and so with BC, you always have to be be aware that the further it goes along, the lower it gets in the year. Right? It's just kind of a little bit different because we're counting up to uh, the um, the years um, uh, BC and AD, right? Which is the year of our Lord. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah. So. Uh, the author of this book is Habakkuk, uh, wrote it around 1605, or 605 BC. Uh, places that are mentioned are the Lord's Temple in Jerusalem, Chaldea, Lebanon, Taman. Uh, people involved Habakkuk, the Chaldeans, and all people. Uh, purpose. The Lord shows that he works, that he works even through... <laughs> evil nations such as Babylon to accomplish his good purposes. Law themes, um, evil, which God permits to afflict his people, the need for patience, woes against drunkenness and idolatry, and God's wrath. Gospel themes in this book, the Lord supplies patience, the righteous shall live by faith, God remembers, God remembers, um, God remembers, um, Mercy, uh, faith, and joy in the midst of trouble. And there's some, uh, I, I like how they give us some verses we can commit to memory there. Uh, Habakkuk's complaint, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Um, a message for the arrogant and the righteous, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. A mercy prayer, chapter 3, verse 2. And rejoice always in the Lord, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Um 
So I guess we'll just kind of like read through some of these things. Um, we'll just read through the first part, kind of touch on the outline, dip in a little bit on these, on the last two pages, because those kind of get into uh, deep things here. But um, the overview here, uh, reading Habakkuk, a scribe's, a scribe's nimble hand carves a row of letters into a sheet of beeswax, which adheres to a pair of boards bound with 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 leather strips. He pauses, um, he pauses, awaiting his Lord's next sentence. An order for the watchman along Judah's western border. As the scribe waits, um, as the scribe waits, um, an evening breeze blows from the coast of the Great Sea and up the Judean hills to their high, to their high fortress, which guards against the Assyrians. At the doorway stands a messenger ready to receive the tablets the moment they snap shut and to run the message to the next hilltop outpost. The prophet Habakkuk waited like a patient scribe or messenger for a, a, a vision from a, for a vision the Lord promised him. As he waited, he, he needed the Lord's encouragement and patience. Habakkuk's style is unique among the prophets in that he never addresses God's people directly, yet his message would apply, would apply very directly then and now. His homeland, the kingdom of Judah, had suffered grave threats from the Assyrian Empire. When the Lord's message came to Habakkuk, it called the Judeans to sober humility and sincere faith. Though the Lord would destroy the Assyrians, he would raise up the Babylonians to chasten wayward Judah. Um, then there's Luther on Habakkuk. Does anybody want to read what Luther has to say? It's actually really good. Who'd like to read that for us? This Habakkuk is the prophet of comfort, who is to strengthen and support the people, to prevent them from despairing of the coming of Christ, however strangely things may go. This is why he uses every device and stratagem that can serve to keep strong in their hearts the faith of the, in the promised Christ. His message is as follows. It is indeed true that because of the people's sins, the land shall have to be destroyed by the king of Babylon. Christ and his kingdom shall not fail to come on that account. On the contrary, the destroyer, the king of Babylon, shall have little good out shall have little good out of his conquest, for he too shall perish. For for it is God's nature and work to help when there is need and to come in the midst of the proper season. As Habakkuk Psalm says, in wrath he remembers mercy, verse three, chapter three, verse two. Or as the proverb puts it, when the rope holds tightest, it breaks. In the same way, we must support Christians with the word of God in anticipation of the last day, even though it appears that Christ is delaying long, delaying long and will not come. For Christ himself says that he will come when men least expect it. 
when they are building and planning, buying and selling, eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, giving in marriage, in order that at least some, though not all, can be preserved in faith. For this matter, for in this matter, preaching and believing are essential as we see every day. Habakkuk certainly has a name appropriate to his office, for Habakkuk means an embracer, one who embraces another and takes him in his arms. This is what he does in his prophecy. He embraces his people and takes them in his arms. That is, he comforts them and supports them as one embraces a weeping child or person to quiet and compose him with the assurance that things will go better if God so will. Okay. And for more of Luther's insights on his on this book, there's uh, lectures on Habakkuk. That's uh, the American edition of Luther of Luther's works, Volume 19. But um, so challenges for readers: um, the problem of the problem of evil. Like the prophet Job, Habakkuk questioned why why evil existed, and why the Lord permitted permitted evil to afflict his people. Uh, the Lord's answers may not completely satisfy our sense of fairness or goodness, since God's ways transcend ours. Blessings for readers. As you read Habakkuk, the Lord will call you to steadfast faith, um, even in the face of persistent evil. The book describes how the Lord works through through evil circumstances for our good, just as he worked through Jesus' suffering and death for our salvation. No matter what opposes you, take joy in the God of your salvation, who is your strength. So any questions so far about, about this book, about the context, or... or um, What's going on? Do y'all y'all kind of know what's going on at this time in history? No. <clears throat> Refreshes. Not really. Okay. So, uh, if you'll if you'll turn if you'll turn to the next page, uh, you'll kind of see there. I'm not. We're no, we're not going to read all of this, but you'll kind of see that um, the only the only real uh, historical reference is that Babylon is about to invade. And you'll see that in chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, you'll, you'll see that under the historical setting portion in the last days of Judah. Um, so that means that Babylon is about to invade. Um, what, this is about the time, what's happened already in history. So you know, you know, and maybe, maybe we could do a whole... Um, a class on like the histories and things like that because and just kind of a the overview of um, the history of the kingdoms after David and Solomon because what happened after Solomon died so we have David and the kingdom is united he had some problems with his son Absalom right Absalom tried to dethrone or usurp the throne from his father, and he died uh, fighting against David, right? And um, but David uh, appointed his son 
his son Solomon to be king. And when Solomon be, and, and when when Solomon becomes king, the kingdom is still united, right? You still have the United uh, the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom of uh, the uh, the the nation uh, of Israel. Uh, but and and during that time, he builds the temple and uh, builds great wealth. Is known as a very wise man, the wisest man to ever live, right? But then after after Solomon dies, what happens? You know what happens? Anybody want to say? Kingdom disintegrates. Yeah, because why? It's very ironic that if you read the book of Proverbs, who is Solomon addressing these Proverbs to? His son. His son, Rehoboam. What does Rehoboam do when Solomon dies? There are these people that fled uh, Solomon because they were in opposition to him. And when they come back to Rehoboam after Solomon dies, they ask for mercy. And they say, you know, please give us, give us clemency, basically. And Rehoboam talks to his father's advisors and they say, do what they ask and they will serve you for the rest of their lives. But then Rehoboam goes to his young friends and they say, nah, like, smash him, put him under the yoke, like, get him under your little thumb and just smash him down harder than your dad did. And he listens to his dumb friends. And he goes to these people and says, you know, uh, and says that um, my finger is stronger than my father's thigh kind of thing. It's like, and I will crush you. And so they rebel and they go up to the northern kingdom and, or they, they go up to the north and they rally people and they establish their own kingdom, right? So now they have a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And there's wars and battles and all these sorts of things. And some, sometimes there's coalitions when they have to fight off other nations or whatever. But it's, it's, it's a very interesting history. But basically, long, long story short is that the kingdom is divided the northern and the and the southern kingdom um, and the southern kingdom of Judah it's Judah and Benjamin those are the only ones in the south that really stay together the rest of the other tribes are up in the north and they rebel not only do they rebel but they also take on foreign gods and they do wicked and abominable things in God's sight and so it's no, and, and so it's no wonder that during this time, you get a very famous prophet in the northern kingdom. Who do you think I'm talking about? Elijah. He comes and uh, uh, and he has bouts with the prophets of Baal and uh, Jezebel, right? Uh, and and all that stuff, and he's calling them to. Repentance. So you get all this very interesting stuff, but at a certain point in time, the northern the northern kingdom uh, gets destroyed by the Assyrians. The Assyrians come in, they destroy them, um, and and in the southern kingdom, you have periodically faithful kings. Um, 
but they don't last long, right? Um, they, they, and they don't always do all that they should, right? They're not, they're, they're not perfect. But so at this point in time with Habakkuk, the Northern Kingdom is destroyed. The Assyrians have already come and swept them all away. They've taken them into exile. And now Judah is in danger of the same thing. They're falling into the same idolatry, the same uh, false uh, faith in foreign gods and drunkenness and debauchery and all sorts of stuff. And so you get uh, the prophet Isaiah, you get Jeremiah, you get Habakkuk, um, you get, I mean, it says that as a late 7th century BC prophet, Habakkuk was a contemporary of Nahum, um, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. He also likely knew a young Daniel and probably Ezekiel, both taken captive from Jerusalem to Babylon in 605 BC and 597 BC, respectively. So at this time, things aren't looking good, right? Uh, things are, are quickly deteriorating, and this is not long before uh, you get the exile into Babylonian captivity. So, so is Job close to this? Oh no, Job is like way, way, way before, like in the time of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Any other questions about Habakkuk? So Habakkuk was a prophet of the southern of Judea. Of so Judah, this, yeah. Of, yeah. Ju Judah. It wasn't known as Judea until after the post-exile, until after people started coming back with. So uh, he was a prophet yeah. down there, and Elijah mm -hmm. was a prophet up off, up north. And Elijah was well before Habakkuk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 all like I said. Maybe we should do a class on the history of um, of the kingdom, you know, and to see what it is. And you just kind of do a uh, kind of an overview of who's who and what's what. Get a timeline going and show this is you know starting at the time. I mean, we could even go from the time that Joshua crosses over the Jordan into the time of the exile. I mean, that would be a pretty, not like a long study, but we could kind of just kind of dip in and out of different things, uh, major points and things like that. If y'all would like to do that at some point in time, yeah. it'd be kind of nice. Um, so any other questions on Habakkuk? I mean, it's just kind of funny. This is going to be a very short class because there's not a lot of context here other than uh, God's judgment is coming in the form of the Babylonians and, you know, uh, we're going to talk about with this class what that means for us today, uh, how God uses um, forces of evil for good. Yeah. Um, what do y'all think about that first and foremost? You, you're going to get into it as you get into this study. But when I say something like, like the challenges for readers, the problem of evil, so like the prophet Job, Habakkuk questioned why, why, you know, bad things happen to good people, basically. What do y'all think about that? We did a study when we worked with the youth group, and one of the books was, what was it? Uh, Lord, why, 
why can't I get my locker open? Like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh-huh. He was cute. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're so fine. What was your question? What do you What do you think about that? Why can't you get your locker open? I mean, it's yeah. Why do bad things happen? And and we're seeing that with our with our study in Job on Sunday mornings, um, talking about it more and more. Um, well, you know, I don't know if it was through a study or something, but. You said something that was very profound to me when we talked about all these bad things happening or you're sitting in church and you're not paying attention. <laughs> and you said the Holy Spirit's working uh -huh. in you. Yeah. Yeah, that was... And it just yeah. kind of... He is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. So I wonder... When bad things are happening, mm. the Holy Spirit is there mm -hmm. for some reason, I guess. Yeah, it's. I think I think you're referencing um, when when we went through grace upon grace, and uh, Dr. Kleinig was saying how he he got really troubled that when he was at the seminary, he'd sit in chapel and he'd listen to the sermon, but his mind would wander. And he always felt really bad because his mind would just go to all these different places in the middle of when he's supposed to be paying attention. And he went to his, uh, his um, professor, Herman Zasa, um, and he said, he said, I feel like the devil is just distracting me. He's getting my mind to go off and things like that. And Herman Zasa just goes, is it the devil? Or the Holy Spirit, and then just walks away, you know. And this is like that old wise sage, just like question and then walk away kind of thing. Um, and he and, and he said, from that point on, I was just I, I just had this thought of, you know, just because your mind wanders or just just because bad things happen, it doesn't mean that the devil is the one ultimately to not blame but have responsibility. He is not all powerful. He doesn't do anything without God's uh, God's say so. And so, when it comes to that sort of stuff, yeah, the the Holy Spirit is at work, and we don't normally it may may make us uncomfortable because it's like, well, God is allowing bad things for good. Well, God disciplines us, yeah, because He loves us, yeah. And through, I mean, I've really been disciplined in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, and that, you know, that's how he sustains you in the faith. Yeah. It's about challenging you and asking, convincing you to come back to him. Yeah. And to pray to him for yeah. relief and comfort and deliverance from whatever is bothering you. Yeah. You know, these, these books of the prophets and hearing about the time in exile with Daniel and things like that are very important because it's, it's very interesting um, to see just how, just how challenging it can be. And uh, like Habakkuk says, um, we can check her to, um, yeah, in chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith, right? Uh, which is kind of surprising. You probably wouldn't have seen that 
anywhere but like St. Paul, right? But it's even in the Old Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. And we're going to see, we're going to dive into this more and more as, as we get through it. But when you talk about the exile, um, the exile of the kingdoms into foreign lands, you get psalms um, that are famous or infamous, I guess you could say, the imprecatory psalms where, um, well, let's just say, uh, they pray for things that we would think are inappropriate. They'll say, we were on the shores of Babylon, you know, like, we're in Babylon, and they told us to sing a song from their land. How can we sing of Jerusalem in a foreign land? And then they call, call for God to break their teeth and stuff like that, you know, because they're just so mad about, about being taunted in that way and challenged in that way. Um, but it's, 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 it's important to think about these things because um, I, the more you look at the world— it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. And we need more people like Habakkuk and Jeremiah who are willing to face the consequences of warning people what's going to happen. Um, and it's, 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 it's interesting because it's not like this stuff was just going to happen and there's nothing that anybody could have ever done about it. Um, there was a time where it was past the point of no return. You know what I'm saying? There were so many calls to repentance, right? There were so many calls that if you turn away from your sin and you follow God and you, you know, trust in his promises, then these bad things will not fall upon you. Even And, and there were things where, um, I think in the time of Isaiah with... Um, King Hezekiah, I believe. I, you can check me on this. But when Hezekiah was king of Judah, uh, Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, and he had he had every reason to boast that they should surrender, or else he was going to tear them down. But um, through Isaiah, God God told the king, "Defy him. Do not do it. Believe in me and trust in me and I will take care of him. And God destroyed Sennacherib and his, his forces. And yet at the same time, that wasn't enough to show people what God could do. They were so hardened in their own hearts that it's like you can't, you can't blame God for the bad things that are happening. Ultimately, we are to blame. And it's really... It's not a great place to be when you're in the position of someone like Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is basically just, well, it's going to happen, but what about all of us who are faithful? Why are we getting punished for everybody else's sin, basically? And God pretty much, it's, it's, it's the uncomfortable reality that we need to confront for our own sakes, that when we ask God these questions, well, why am I being punished? I've been faithful. I go to church. I go to Bible study. You know, I, I, I pray. I read my Bible. And why am I being punished for all the crud that's going on out there in the world? And God pretty much tells Jer uh, Jer Jeremiah what he tells to Job. Just be glad with what I give you. 
basically, which is uh, a hard thing to hear, but it want, but it's one that needs to be taken in faithfulness to say, you know what, Lord, you're right. I deserve, I deserve a lot worse. I am not necessarily better than all these other people out here. I am a poor, miserable, uh, poor, miserable sinner. And I deserve hell and damnation, but the only reason why I don't get it is because of your mercy and grace, right? So, so like like Jeremiah, we may have to be happy with going into exile somewhere, and he, he went into exile in Egypt, right? Um, but he lived, you know. Uh, it wasn't great, but then again, Egypt was a lot better than what happened to Jerusalem. I mean, it was it was literally given given a rest from from the people and the wild beasts took it over again, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, um, what can we learn from books like these? And we'll see more about what it's, we'll see in chapters one and two, uh, this discussion between Habakkuk and God, um, that Habakkuk, and I'm looking at the outline on the second page here, that Habakkuk makes a complaint that there's no justice in Judah, right? And then the Lord responds to him that he will, he will make it right. He will bring justice, right? He will uh, bring um, retribution. And he says that he will do it by means of the Babylonians, and uh, he describes who the, who the Babylonians are. They're called the Chaldeans. I mean, the, Babylon is in Chaldea, you know. And so um, it's, it's just the Chaldeans will come and they will do these things. And then um, Habakkuk comes back and makes another complaint. How can God look on us as the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Because he basically says... You're going to send the Babylonians? I just told you how bad it is here. Those people are worse. What are you doing? You know, that's not what I wanted at all, God. And uh, then God comes back and he says, uh, don't worry. You know why? They are worse and they will be judged. They won't get away with this, basically. They won't, it's, it's very interesting because in, in, in that sense, they are seen as purely the instrument of God's will. They are not seen as God's people, the Chaldeans, right? They're not seen as God's people bringing justice and truth and all these things like that. They're just, they're just a hammer to hit a nail. Uh, and uh, they are used at a certain time, but their own pride will cause them to fall, and God will judge them accordingly, right? In time. In time. Yeah, we won't go there right now. Um, in time, he will judge them, right? And then, so then you see um, that next part, um, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, where uh, the Lord's justice is certain with these woes to the the arrogant oppressors right uh, the plunderer is plundered the fortified 
dismantled, the citizens crushed, the shameless put to shame, the idolaters silenced. And then in chapter 3, you get this uh, psalm of submission, which all of chapters 1 and 2, there are parallels for all people of all time. But chapter 3, I think, is the most pointed for us in what he is saying um, uh, and what he is praying to God through this psalm and giving thanks and praise to him and his wisdom and what he does for those who trust in him and all these things like that, right? Uh, and this, this, this declaration, this, 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 this confession of faith that says, though, though the harvest may fail, though I may not have all that I really want, uh, I will rejoice in the Lord God. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Right? So joy in the midst of sorrow and trial and tribulation. Um, which, again, uh, I'll say it again, um, and sometimes I get a little annoyed with myself, uh, truth, truth, truth be told, that I don't have anything new to say about joy or anything like that, but I was reading Luther's Large Catechism a little bit, um, and in one of his prefaces for the Large Catechism, he says, why should we, why should we be ashamed to repeat what what does he say? Um, ah, it's great. Uh, yeah, here, let me just read this to you. The reason why I, say, I have a point with this, because I want to say something about joy, and it's something I've said before, but I've said it several times, and I get frustrated with myself. It's like, what? Get, get some new material, man. You know, <laughs> say something new. But um, Luther says in the longer preface of his large catechism, Oh, what mad, senseless fools are we, while we must ever live and dwell among such mighty enemies as the devils, we still despise our weapons and defense, and we are too lazy to look at or think of them. What else are such proud, arrogant saints doing who are unwilling to read and study the catechism daily? They think they are much more learned than God himself with all his saints, angels, prophets, apostles, and all Christians. God himself is not ashamed to teach these things daily. He knows nothing better to teach every single day. So when I read that, I go, okay, so maybe I don't need new material. Maybe I should just keep saying the same things over and over again. Maybe I can find new ways to say them. But I say that to say Habakkuk is giving us great um, a great tool in the midst of sorrow, which is joy. And joy is different from happiness, right? Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is a feeling. Um, when you're in the midst of sorrow, you're not happy, but you can be joyful, right? You can still have joy in the midst of trials. Uh, why, why else do you think... Um, you see these accounts of the martyrs and they're just defiant, you know, and they're singing hymns as they go into the lion's den and all this stuff like that, right? Um, so maybe we can capture something from, from this study about 
though we look around us and there's all sorts of stuff happening that we just say, you know, when will it be the end? And in the midst, look forward to, like Luther says, right, um, that he, um, he comforts them and supports them as one embraces a, 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 a weeping child or person to quiet and compose him with the assurance that things will go better if God so will, right? Um, I, love, I love what um, Luther does there with Habakkuk's name, one who clings, you know? Um, but it's very interesting also because it's not just he's embracing us to say, here's God's promise, but Habakkuk is mainly clinging to God, right? And that's where his trust and hope comes from. Yeah? Any thoughts on this? Well, with this short book, we're going we're gonna to squeeze all we can out of it. Um, but that's just a little overview of what we'll be getting into. Um, any, any questions? Like I said, this is going to be a very short class. <laughs> and when I say that, people chuckle. Because it usually goes longer than I think it's going to go. Sure. But do you all have any questions? I just have one comment. Yeah. Well, I guess it is a question. Okay. So why are you concerned about saying the same thing over and over? It's my sinful flesh. You know, it's, it's the sinful flesh that wishes that I knew more or thought thinks that because you have new things to say, it means you're smart or whatever. But really, it's just like, don't worry about it because... God, no, because we need to hear it over and over yeah. and over. Yeah. yeah, and God keeps saying it over and over and over again. This, <laughs> yeah, this thing. I mean, seriously, you, you look at the Bible and you just go, Did, did, "Didn't He just say that?" Like you know, five books back. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we're sheep. We need to be guided. Needed. Yeah, I read somewhere where. Uh, Ninety percent of people are sheep, five percent are sheep dogs, and five percent are wolves. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate. Maybe there's more wolves than that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, you uh, think so because the media is a wolf. Yeah, <laughs> or they magnify they the magnify. deeds of the wolves. Um, that's or the people are the sheep that that headbutt the shepherd, you know? <laughs> um, it's like, uh, you see these, these pictures on the internet and you see, um, or there's this one video of like this dash cam, uh, of this one shepherd who's, it's modern day. And the shepherd is, uh, leading the sheep across a road. And then all of a sudden one of the sheep just like backs up and then just, Bam! And just knocks it, and just knocks him in the back. Like it, he, 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 he basically just knocks him right in the back, and he swear, and he falls down. Didn't see it at all. Blindsides him, and then as he's like stumbling up, it rears up and like knocks him in the head again. And he just, then you just go, wow, that's pretty uh, accurate example. I think of what happens sometimes in church with pastors and people. Um, thankfully that hasn't really happened here, but, uh, th- but there's also another picture of, uh, I've, I've seen of this one sheepdog that, that if, if y'all have seen this, it's kind of neat. There's a sheepdog who clearly looks like he's been in a fight, you know, and, and, and he's, and he's, uh, he's all dirty and he looks tired and he's kind of bloody 
and then you and and he's got his head down, and then a sheep comes over and uh, and uh, puts his head up against his dog's head and just kind of gives him some comfort. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And it's like that's that's that that's what it looks it should look like with the sheep comforting the sheep dog after he's fought off a wolf, you know. Uh, yeah, so we are sheep. We need to be reminded of these things. Um, and uh, I was going to say something else, but I don't know if it's really pertinent to our study. Um, maybe it is. So I'll, so I'll just say it and we can stop there. Uh, I, was, I was reading the Treasury of Daily Prayer uh, the other day, and it was in Deuteronomy, and uh, it's talking about the blessings that come with uh, following God. Um, where was it? Was it, was it yesterday? Uh, oh yeah, there's like curses and there's blessings. Um, uh, anyways, I was thinking to myself, it's like you know, sometimes we look at the Old Testament. And because they had the sacrificial system in place of saying, you know, you have to come and sacrifice on the Passover, on the Day of Atonement, on these sorts of things, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, how is that different from the way that people would sacrifice to their pagan gods, right? I mean, you, you, you bring a sacrifice so that you'll have a good harvest, and it sounds like sometimes that's what God is doing in the Old Testament. You know, if you sacrifice and you uh, do these things, I will bless you. Right? It sounds like that. But I was reminded of this the other day. I was like, you know, why is it that God keeps talking about the Exodus? Why is it that God keeps talking about him delivering his people out of the hands of the Pharaoh? Why does it keep reminding them of these things? Because that's the point. You don't. Um, you only. You only obey the law. In their context, by giving sacrifice, because God has already done great things for you. Right? Does that make some sense? Um, and, I, and I was. And I was just like, whoa! That's a much better way of explaining it than all the other ways I've explained it before. You know, God always goes back, and in the Psalms, you see it also. He's always reminding his people, remember what I did through Moses. Remember what I did through uh, Joshua. Remember what I did through the judges. Remember how I delivered you. And that's what should prompt you to give of what you have, you know. Because at some point he says, you know, do I desire, it's like, you give me bulls and sheep because I'm hungry? No, that's not the point. And he says, you know, that, um, that the acceptable sacrifices are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, right? Coming to him because he promises things, that he delivers on things, that he's shown his, his, his great power in delivering his people. And the Hebrews simply just asked him to save them. And he did, right? Uh, for their sake and so that they would be his people. And in being his people, they made sacrifices and said, thanks be to God for what he has done. But they probably 
got things off because they fell into idolatry and said, well, we're just giving sacrifice to this God. Why not hedge our bets with these other gods, you know? Uh, forgetting God doing all these things in uh, delivering his people. Yeah. Yes, he wouldn't have delivered them out of Egypt. They all would have died from lead poisoning. Lead poisoning? <laughs> lead poisoning? What? Yeah, because all the peasants, all they had to drink out of was lead lead cups oh. and lead plates and what have you. And that's why so many of the peasants in Egypt went crazy because of lead poisoning. Oh, really? Yeah. When was that? <laughs> Way back during the Pharaoh's times. Oh, really? When did they figure that out? Was there like a historical account of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really they idea. find these mummies and you know their bodies are laden with oh. with lead. And... Must have been must have been after the Bronze Age, and all they could get was lead. Uh, well, no, the, the wealthy people had gold and silver. Oh yeah, and bronze. The peasants, all they had was lead. They had to mine it, and then. That was their utensils. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, on that note. Uh, <laughs> well, God knew what he was doing. They would huh? have all died from lead poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were brought into the promised land. Right? Okay. Um, okay. Any, any questions, thoughts, uh, comments on this? Are y'all... Interested in this now? Are y'all? I mean, I knew you were before, but are you more interested to see where we're gonna go with this? Yeah, I'm excited. Good. All right, so we're gonna stop there for next time. Uh, I mean, if if you want to read more of the history, uh, it kind of it kind of helps to get more of a setting. Um, and it actually, what I what I put in here also talks about how uh, you see actually how short lived the Babylonian. Um, how short-lived the, the Babylonian um, rule is, I think. Uh, so if, if Habakkuk writes this in 605 BC and uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes captives in 599 and 587, Jerusalem's temple is destroyed. But then you see that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar dies in 562. It's not, that's really not all that long in the grand scheme of things. So God knows what he's doing. And, and while we may say, well, I don't know, that's a long time from uh, 605 to 562. You go, well, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that, it's really not that long. And your children's children will benefit from it at least, you know. And, yeah, it was only 18 years from the time of this Habakkuk to the destruction of the temple. Yeah, so... Okay, how, how do these years work? I mean, from the beginning, it, it, it goes to when Christ was mm -hmm. born. Yeah. How did they know when Christ was going to be born? Oh, no, they didn't. So here's the way, here's the way it works. So, like, well, this is, this, this is where you get in, into some controversy on, like, dating how, how old the earth is and everything, right? I... Personally, I'm 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 a young Earth creationist, if you know what I mean. Um, that I I think I think the world's probably only six to ten thousand years old, right. according to scripture. Right. I mean, if you go back and you say, well, how old was 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, how old was uh, Seth and Adam? And, you know, you go back to how old they were and see and like kind of add it up. You get you get somewhere between like six and ten thousand years from them to us, which sounds crazy because you hear all the time stuff like, you know, oh, it took billions of years for this to be carved out. And then you go, what about the flood? I mean, seriously, what about the flood? I think the flood could have handled the Grand Canyon in about an hour or two. You know, uh, I mean, think about it. Uh, water is a very powerful thing. But uh, I'm getting to my point here that so you don't quite we're not we're not 100 percent sure on when, you know, Adam, Adam and Eve, you know, but in our current reckoning or, you know, counting of time, everything in here is. Um, is is known as like bc right um and that's usually known as before christ i think it 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 turned into that when we were you know christianized as uh uh, the western christians and everything like that and and our we inherited a calendar and a reckoning of time from the romans right and the romans had this but then you have all the way up BC, all the way up to about the time of like, uh, not quite Julius Caesar, but like um, Augustus and, and those, I, I can't remember exactly which Caesar it was, but one of the Caesars basically said, all right, we're done with that um, reckoning of time. And because of my reign and the Roman empire being so powerful, now is year zero. And they said at one point in time, because of the Roman reckoning, they said, now that time is done. And now we begin with, with year zero. And it was, it was, it was a couple years after that, maybe like three, three years or so after that, that they had the census that Joseph and Mary had to go back to their hometown for in Bethlehem. And uh, or the town of their fathers, I, I, I should say. And so uh, Jesus was born. He wasn't born on year zero. He was born on like year year three or four or so. Wasn't and, that something? And then and then How all that just kind of yeah developed in the fullness of time, as the scriptures say. Right? It all it all worked out to where after that. Well, now you're starting to see modern secular historians not call it BC. Yeah, they'll say BCE, which they say stands for before the Common Era, common. and then yeah. and then now instead of AD, which is uh, Latin for the year of our Lord, right? Uh, um, it's right. So the year of our Lord, they call it CE, the Common Era. They've appropriated our our counting, as it were, to We're say still more Christian. That's exactly right. They do not want any reckoning of, of Christ as being the where the turning point in history is. Well, in the Jewish calendar is keeping it's still going on. Oh yeah. They don't they won't address this. No, they don't. Um, but that's so they're in the year what I forget what it is. Yeah, and they probably have different reckoning of, of, of years as well that we might have some issues with. I don't know. It's thirteen thousand or something like that. Yeah. The coins Coins prior to that zero uh-huh. had no dates on them, and coins after had right. dates on them. Yeah, 
Yeah, so a lot of a lot of our understanding of BC is from looking back at historical records and saying, well, this took so much year. And so basically it's working backwards, and that's why you see that's why you see it counting up. So like this will be like, you know, this would be like I guess like ten thousand BC and up here will be like, you know, five BC, something like that. And then zero basically. And and then well just year zero, I guess, you know. Um it's kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah. That was what I was wondering about that. Yeah, there's a little bit of background. Um anyways, any other questions? Okay. Well, um, I look forward to hearing what y'all have to contribute in this study because a lot of this is, you know, a bunch of discussion. Let's just go ahead and look ahead a little bit, see how these are laid out. You might already know, you probably may be familiar with these things. I found this one. I, I was going to try and do something fresh, and I was like, oh, I got I got home last night from, uh, or not, I got home yesterday afternoon from uh, the pastor's conference and my pal's meeting as well. And I just got home and I was like, oh, I still got to prepare this thing for Habakkuk. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, and I, and I sat down and then I go, oh, the CPH have something. And I saw that they had this uh, life by his word study. And they not only have, I, it was a whole set that I got and it's digital. So it's nice where um, it's all the later prophets from Jeremiah onward to Malachi. So we can do other uh I think it even covers Ezekiel. So we can even do Ezekiel in this format as well, which is nice because it has three parts to it, the look, discuss, and the apply portions. So you know, you take a look at a certain part, then you discuss primarily. Discussion is the main part there. And then the, the application. So that there's something to be gained in our uh, current time from these things. Okay? So look ahead, work on Habakkuk 1, and uh, answer the questions, and you know, I look forward to hearing what y'all have to say about it. Okay? You got it. All righty. Nice little short study before we get to Advent. Yeah. All right, well, um, how about let's go ahead and close then with the Lord's Prayer. So taught by our Lord and trusting His promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.